Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Serie A fan. It's farewell to the gentleman manager as Cesare Prandelli bows out. Elsewhere, Super Pippo piles the pressure on old pal Pirlo. Italy get off to a flying start against Northern Ireland, and Boaz sticks the boot into a childhood hero. Plus, a special guest in this episode of Scudetto. Hello and welcome to Scudetto, a bit of a, another unusual week here for us. Oscar, our trusted host, is not with us this week. He's still off sick, so we're hoping he's going to be back next week. The result of that is that you're stuck with me in the hot seat this week, Kenny. But there's also going to be another couple of, of changes. We're going to do this as a two-parter this week. Um, we'll be looking at Serie in part one, and then we'll be looking at the performance of the Azzurri in part two. And there's a very good reason for that. And it's because we have a very, very special guest. He is a former Atalanta Primavera star, Scotland international, premiership professional, BT Sports Serie A commentator and pundit, and currently in the backroom staff at AFC Bournemouth. Uh, Richard Hughes, correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, Kenny, thank you very much. I must correct you on that uh, incredible introduction, and thank you for it. Um, although I didn't quite like the fact that I started off as a Primavera star, and it seemed to dwindle as I went on <laughs> in, in terms of the description of the, the capacities I held. But uh, let me say it's an absolute pleasure to be joining your podcast and finally having had the invite i i couldn't wait to take it up and join you yeah we've been hoping to have you on for for a while but yeah i think we, we needed to have a podcast that did did you justice richard first before before getting you on so that means that oscar's not here is that is that what it constitutes is doing me justice <laughs> i was looking forward to hearing oscar i think uh, of uh, the other people on this podcast today um, looking forward to reuniting with you both after many a year, of, and I was looking forward to meeting Oscar. So we'll have to wait till next time. Absolutely, uh, but this time, someone that you do have to be reunited with is Boaz Sachs in Tel Aviv. Boaz, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, Richard and I used to be two centre backs in a school football team, and uh, unfortunately, Richard was a goal scoring centre back, whereas I was the guy who was getting my knees scraped and. Uh, Looking like a fool. <laughs> Two centre-back stars, boy, as we were. You've got the stars at the end of that. Kenny would have added the stars. They possibly said more about the rest of the squad, but uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was right back in the changing room, as the, as the joke goes. <laughs> Other than that, there was elections in Israel this week again, and um, I guess we'll do the podcast in about four months' time, and I'll say there's elections in another four months. And <laughs> repeat ad infinitum. A recurring theme. Right, we're going to do beers in part two because it's too early for that at the time at the time we're recording. Uh, so part two we'll be recording after the Italy game tonight and we'll be doing beers and honourable mentions and the like then. Uh, but we're going to start, uh, I think, with the, the shock news uh, that Prandelli has resigned as Fiorentina manager. Uh, it was a bit of a worrying and certainly a heartfelt personal announcement uh, that he made. And it does have to be say, said his managerial history has kind of been punctuated with uh, periods of, of tragedy. Uh, obviously, he took over Roma and then had to subsequently leave before having been in charge of a game because his wife became ill and, and passed away. But in, in his statement uh, announcing his resignation this time at Fiorentina, he talked about dark clouds, about how he knew something wasn't right and that the players could pick up on that, um, how his mind couldn't be on the job properly and how he's at peace with the fact that this could actually mean his retirement from football altogether. So 
uh, we'd probably start off by asking uh, Richard, what, what's your, what was your sort of immediate reaction to this news? Yeah, we're, we're surprised uh, to start with, Kenny, obviously, because having, him having come in during the course of the season, uh, initially I didn't know it was mental health related. Um, so it was a, it was a strange uh, situation to, to have arisen from sort of what I was, uh, that was my first reaction. Uh, obviously, saw bits of the game at the weekend against uh, Milan where they were sort of well in the game. And, and and the first thing you think when someone leaves their post is that it is performance-related. So I was thinking that seems a little bit strange because even though Fiorentina aren't having the season they planned out um, at, the, at the beginning of it, it seems as if he's done a decent enough job at steadying it and, and getting them in a position of safety. So that was my initial reaction. Then when I, when I sort of read quotes and then read the English translation of Mr. Prandelli's comments it, it obviously started to put a lot more meat on the bones. And then now I've, I've, I've read the, the full Italian version of it. And I think it's a very brave uh, situation that he has um, uh, that he has created. He didn't have to be quite so honest if he didn't want to be. Mm. You know, he could have just given other reasons for it. I think in, in a day and age where mental health in general, but in sport, is becoming more and more uh, talked about, I think this could be a, a really momentous moment that, that someone in the game has... Uh, uh, has addressed mental health um, issues as being far more important than than the job he was doing. And even though in the, the transcript of what he says, the letter of what he wrote, he clearly says it was a a dream job in a in a club in a city where he he very much feels at home. So so initial surprise, and then and then I thought commending the bravery of of my former manager, uh, and con- you know as a consequence of that, I, I clearly hope that. Uh, um, the decision he's made allows him to focus on himself, like he says in his letter, what he has to discover. Happiness, essentially, it sounds like, doesn't it? And uh, and uh, a great man, a really, really great coach. I went through my whole career uh, describing him as the best manager I've ever had um, until I met Eddie Howe afterwards and uh, and had to put Eddie on that same pedestal. But um, Mr. Prandelli was, like, taught me, so much. I played the professional game. Sorry, I'm talking a lot, Kenny, because it's a, it's a, it's a topic that, uh, that clearly I'm, I'm quite passionate about, and it's someone sure. I know. And and for a couple of a couple of seasons, played in that Primavera team where he was the manager, a, a real flagship of our uh, Atalanta youth team at the time. It's like, can you can you climb through the age groups and get to play for that guy? Because that guy will turn you into a player. That seems to be the the rhetoric going through the the Atalanta Settore Giovanile. And eventually to get there and play for him and not to be disappointed by the lessons that he had to teach. I went through my professional career on the tactical um, information given by two people in, uh, in, in my sort of, apart from my dad, who was heavily influential in my career. But um, uh, Beppe Savoldi, um, who was one of my four, first coaches uh, at Atalanta. And then latterly towards my end of my time at Atalanta was Cesare Prandelli and an absolute uh, magician on, on the coaching uh, field. So clearly I was... Um, I was I was struck by it and um, and and sad for him in a way, but sort of commending him that he he has tackled this and uh, and he's got the whole footballing world acknowledging this situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wasn't actually aware that you had had quite such a sort of uh, close relationship with uh, with Brandelli when when I uh, asked that question. But very clearly, a man that is widely um, respected. I know that he's previously spoken out on a lot of subjects that uh, have been perhaps taboo uh, in in football before. Uh, In this case, he's speaking out about his own mental health, but he's spoken out against uh, homophobia before as well and against racism. So yeah, really, really hope uh, that that he's happy, whatever he decides that he, he wants to end up doing really. Yeah, he was a, he was a he's a real teacher, Kenny. You know, so some of these things that you mentioned that uh, that he spoke out uh, about doesn't surprise me at all. And and when you're a youth team player, you need a teacher at the end of it. You you're still at that level where you're very much learning. And he was very much someone who wanted to in, in, inform. He wasn't just a manager as such. He wanted to make players better humans, better boys in terms of their their upbringing and and their intelligence. And that's why. I mean, Atalanta are famed for having uh, such a good, and we might talk about it in a bit, about um, the, the, such a good youth team. But in my in my time there, Cesare Prandelli was a huge part of why there were so many of of us that went on to have careers at a good level um, because of his teachings. Sure. Obviously, what what the the fallout for Fiorentina uh, means for this is that uh, Iacchini will be taking charge. 
again until the end of the season. Oddly, I know that Yakini was criticised earlier earlier on the season, justifiably for some insipid performances, really. But oddly, given that right now their um, their sole focus has to be just getting over the line and staying in City, I really it doesn't look like they're in too much uh, danger of going down. But could he actually be uh, the best the best person for the job and until the summer? Boaz, what do you reckon about that? Well, when Yakini left, we kind of joked about the fact that he was his he was constantly making excuses for his formations, and he was seeing games that most people at home and in the stands, or well, whoever was in the pitch at the time, because it's COVID, but people were not seeing, including games where he was really badly beaten, and yet he came. He was the only person who saw a positive light. Having said that, he is kind of a specialist in um, saving teams from retrocessione. And uh, we we did joke at the beginning that they should have brought Prende- started with Prendelli and then brought Yakini in, and they kind of did that for for less than good reasons, of course. But uh, that's what's happening. They currently lead Cagliari by seven points, and there's ten matches to go. On paper, Fiorentina should save themselves, but I mean, both Cagliari and Torino are do- getting pretty good results. So I don't think Fiorentina are, are out of it, and I don't. Uh, Yakini hasn't done anything to convince me that he is the man to save them now. Okay, well, as Richard uh, alluded to there, there was the the great uh, great game of the weekend, really, uh, the 3-2 win for, for Milan against Fiorentina. And it was 3-2 was the scoreline, but there could have been eight goals easily uh, if, if you just add in the three times that uh, the woodwork was hit. Um, what what did you make of that, uh, that game, Richard? Um, what does it mean for the top four? Could it mean anything for the Scudetto race? We have spoken a lot on this podcast over the last couple of episodes about how now we kind of believe that that's the, the race possibly over for, for the Scudetto, unless Inter really, really throw it away and Milan go on a, a run where they win every single game, which I think is something that Pioli has actually said, we can absolutely do that. What were the impacts of this uh, this result? I think it's it, well, it is a big result for Milan in the top four race because I think such is the form of a few of the particularly particularly Napoli and Atalanta that you know top four isn't a foregone conclusion for, for Milan. And let's not forget that 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 was the the aim at the start of the season. They they found themselves and deservedly so in a, a title race of 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 sorts. I say of sorts because for me it's not a race. I I, I agree that. It's um, it has been Inter's title to lose for a number of weeks now, and they just show no signs of being the Pazza Inter of of years gone by, and they are just a, a well drilled, well oiled machine that is going to churn out wins. Even when they went to Parma uh, on a was it a Monday night, Friday night in in the couple, couple of weeks ago, they were second best for a lot. But they find ways of winning the game. It's Antonio Conte's system is so. Uh, so well functioning now. The components, he's, he's even Ericsson getting back in the team has given them a little bit more creativity in the midfield, which is starting to look that it could be a little bit more functional than than anything and, and just helps them win games that they might have drawn earlier on in the season. So for me, there is no title race, as boring as that sounds, that, that Inter, it's a matter of when they win it. And, and I see it like that. Not not because of Milan's folks. The Milan have overachieved. I think everyone acknowledges that. It's because of Juve's form. Uh, and last result in particular that will make anyone think that maybe, maybe. And I think even for Milan's sake, for, for those diehard Milans, and there are a few out there, aren't there, boys, that, that would really want Milan to win, you know, to think that they could. I still think they needed Juve in it because Inter would have been more scared of Juve than this Milan team. So I think that's not necessarily a good thing. And Juve, of course, in the top four shakeup are no guarantees either. I, I, I really think Napoli were very good against Roma. Uh, Atalanta are always good if they just managed to get better starts in the last couple of seasons you just wonder whether they could have made the impossible possible with winning it so that's where I see it I think it's uh, Milan have been so impressive this year at churning out wins just when you think right the wheels will fall off a little bit and they'll come closer to the teams where they should be competing with with the look at the squads they just find a way to win again and um, so from that perspective even though it's not a foregone conclusion it makes me think that that Juve have got more to worry about at the minute about seeing off Napoli and Atalanta than, than Milan have. What would you say to that, Boaz, as a Milan fan? Do you cling to, to any hope? Or, uh, yeah, as Richard says, Inter, just a matter of, of when, not if. 
It feels to me that in a weekend where they didn't play, they actually moved that little bit closer to the Scudetto. They are basically the crown champions, let's face it. And uh, as Richard said, for Milan to just finish in the top four is a fantastic achievement given the general age of the squad and given uh, how good the competition is. So I don't think the I think the Scudetto was a, an amazing pipe dream. And at some point, I think before the derby, possibly Milan were in a pole position. But uh, as we've said time and time again, it's it's Inter's to lose. And I kind of liken the Inter to the Terminator in especially their game against Torino. They they conceded the goal. You think, okay, this is it. This is where they'll finally draw points. But they go back down the other end, get a quick goal and uh, win a game that is not that easy against Torino right now. Sure. Um, and one thing to, to talk about in uh, the, the Milan game before we do move on is uh, Zlatan breaking yet another record of becoming the oldest ever player to hit 15 in, in Serie A. He's back in the Sweden squad. There's talks of him renewing his contract at Milan next season again. Richard, just how difficult is it to to compete at that level when you're approaching 40? I think you were a few years younger when you when you retired. A good few years younger. I retired twice, actually, as well. So I was 32 when I was in uh, uh, forced retirement because no one wanted me. And uh, <laughs> and then when I, 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 I took a gap year, as I say, when uh, Bournemouth called me again when I was 33 and I saw it, my career that ended at, uh, at your average age of retirement at 35, which was nice enough. And uh, make no mistake, if no one had come calling for me when I was 32, 33, from a physical standpoint, that could have been me, you know. So to, to answer your question, to go again, even as a 33-year-old then, as I was, and let's not forget, Ibra's had a couple of injuries, a few injuries that have kept him out for long periods. Some people think that that might be good for you because you've had a, a year out, but, but getting started again in your 30s is really, really tough. It's just difficult to stay on par if everything goes for you injury-wise and, and the injuries that he had to come back from them. And also the type of player he is. I, I could have probably, players like me could have played on into the mid-30s and late-30s and you not notice too much of a difference if you've not had elasticity or speed or, or pace and, and your game was built in on, on reading the game. There are aspects of it that are going to improve with age. But Ibra is all about the other things. He's all about sort of power. He's all about elasticity. He's all about... Uh, being acrobatic and, uh, and and flexible with his body in terms of the ways he has to manipulate the ball and 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 challenge aerially for things. So unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, doesn't get enough credit for that aspect. I know he does, and but he really doesn't because he's yeah. as a player throughout his career. You know, is he really top end? You know, actually, if you, you can have that conversation and uh, and people could be on one side and and someone on the other and still have very good points, but. His longevity will will make him closer to being remembered as a as a great of the game, for, for sure. So I am incredibly impressed that he's not only going, but still a key part. They miss him when he doesn't play. So he's a key part of a team that has overachieved and is still, whether I think or not, is still challenging for the, the top prize in Italy. Is there a mental aspect to him as well, do you think? Yeah, there must be, boys. I, I think uh, to, to have that willpower to keep going. And also, we all thought, I think everyone would have thought in the footballing world that when he went over to America, that was his retirement. Because people were thinking, right, he's yeah. going to go over there and he's going to uh, impress people over there. He's going to make a name for himself and what lies uh, after his uh, uh, his playing days are over. Come back and still in, in, in the most important competitions prove that he's got, it has to have mental components because because that's what gets you, you know. I, I remember when, when I started to get to an age and, and let you know in a, a little bit of secret when you're a, when you're a player and you go for your first run of the day, so you're all congregating, waiting for the fitness coach to take you off in a warm-up. And when you're in your early 20s or your late teens, you don't think about it. You continue the conversation with your mates as you're running around doing the initial part of the warm-up. Um, by the way, it's the same on five-a-side, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> in my in my days, post-professionally, I can see. So those initial periods when you're going for your first jog of the day and the older you get, you get to a point where, you're waiting for the fitness coach. You're looking at the fitness coach. When is he going to say, come on, guys, on the jog? And that you start to think about that. That's mental, not just physical. So absolutely, that's a huge component. And when you get into your 30s, you can no longer run around the pitch doing your warm-ups, talking to your mate. So suddenly you have to like save the breath a little bit more <laughs> and like be conservative with everything. And it's once you feel that you physically start to go, 
mentally you go more and that's why they're so close to your points a, a huge one yeah. is so so intrinsically linked to one another yeah and uh, another player at the top of his game uh, approaching his 40s as well Cristiano Ronaldo an unfortunate time for him or an unfortunate occasion for him to be presented with a greatest of all time goat 770 shirt uh, for beating Pele's official goal-scoring record, obviously, that one. But an unfortunate occasion uh, when Juve lose 1-0 at home to, to Benevento. And I think I mentioned to both of you guys before we started recording that uh, one of the radio shows in Italy described Juve as inguardabile, unwatchable, in the first uh, 60, 60 minutes. Uh, we've all kind of spoken about it when we are talking about Inter there, but Juve's title race surely over... There's even been some debate as to, to Pirlo's future, although Nedved and Paratici both said this week that he'll be staying, uh, as will Cristiano Ronaldo. But to come back to something that Richard mentioned before, Boaz, is top six at risk for, for Juve? Is sticking with Pirlo now becoming a gamble for Juve? Before the Benevento result, I would have said this question was kind of preposterous. But um, now that this, the table... It's getting shorter and of course Inter are on a run but the the likes of uh, Atalanta and Napoli that we mentioned before but also Roma shouldn't be discounted and possibly Lazio we'll see what happens with their um their case with the COVID the tests which they may be docked points for but in any case um we said in the past that Pirlo may well be a great coach in the future but uh, right now he's far from it and uh, especially compared to past results with Conte and Allegri who were absolute uh, winning machines, but also Sari, who was so, so maligned. But in hindsight, the results he achieved last year were, were spectacular compared to what's happening this year. Richard, is Pirlo the man for the job long term? Well, as Boad said there, uh, I think you look at the, 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 the success that someone like Maurizio Sari had and the experience that Sari had in the game. And he was, in Boaz's words, but correctly used, much maligned by, by, by plenty. It just shows you how tough that job is. So would one expect Pirlo to come in and win everything so quickly? The thing, the difficult thing about Juve is the expectations are still sky high, but the, the components that got them nine titles in a row or Champions League finals knocking on the door are no longer there. You know, the backbone on which that was created doesn't exist. And we see it with clubs in different countries. When you change the components, the key components that make a team successful, even 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 the very best managers will struggle to um, to, to to manage to to retain that success. I think with Pirlo, the truth is, having no experience, it's difficult to gauge what he is as a manager, what he is as a head coach, what his philosophy is, what his identity is. It's a little bit unusual that one would get to this stage of the season and not be clear on what how a team is supposed to be playing. I do think they've been unlucky at times, despite the fact they are clearly inferior than they have been in previous seasons. And everyone was raving about Porto, and I'm not sure how this podcast described that um, elimination. My take on it, and I didn't see, I'm caveating it here because I didn't see the first leg in Portugal where they were well beaten, apparently. But in the second leg, did I see a team in black and white deserve to win that game by two or more goals? Absolutely. You know, that, that, that's without question. I saw Juve that could easily have got to the last eight. If he was their man beforehand, they, these are good people, and he's a talented people, and in Paratici and Medved, this is a winning organization. If they saw enough, to deem him the man to, to put in charge at a difficult time, then they should stick by him, to be honest. Because I think whoever you got would find it difficult, unless you want to go for someone like Simone Inzaghi, who has, has got a CV that is proven in, in, in Serie A and a higher echelons, overachieving, etc. Then why not? Why not go for But they've made their decision. Simone Inzaghi, they could have gone for in the summer. They went for Pirlo. I feel they've got to stand by him to see what he really is. Look at when Milan chopped and changed. And okay, ultimately, Pioli has now done, had a great season with them. But Gattuso has shown himself to be a manager that can compete at this, uh, uh, in, in the higher uh, reaches of Serie A. People in Zaghi, and we may talk about Benevento, probably deserves to be talked about in terms of what they achieved. Because for as much as was it Juve winning Guardabile, Benevento were pretty good in, in that game. So, and people in Zaghi, like Gattuso, has shown that with Milan a little bit too quick. Uh, so, I don't know. I'd like to know what Pirlo is as a coach and a manager before answering that question. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you mentioned, the flip side of the 
the result was that it was an incredible uh, result for for Benevento. I think it was only last week that we were beginning to to look at them and and Spezia and thinking, oh, are they going to be dragged down uh, into the the sort of danger zone? Uh, but it, as things stand, they look. Uh, like they're sitting sitting pretty comfortably, but what about the the job that Pippo Inzaghi has has done at, at Benevento, Richard? You you seemed keen to to speak about it there, um, keen to get your take yeah. on this and uh, Boaz's as well. Yeah, I, th- I think um, uh, obviously the success they had last season, they've come up like a real team. I think uh, sometimes in the last ten to twenty years, teams that have come up, um, lesser teams. Kievo are famed because Kievo managed to stabilise himself in Serie A against the odds. Lots of these clubs that have not really got a history of the top level in Serie A have faded away pretty meekly at the first attempt. And with uh, with Benevento, I think Inzaghi deserves huge, huge praise for having a team that plays in in, in the sort of same uh, optic as the manager was as as a player and is still is on the touchline by the looks of things. I, th- I think that they are uh, they've been in, enjoyable to watch. I, like you, thought that they were running out of steam and that early momentum and early good results was not going to be enough and they were just going to be sucked in by bigger teams and clubs like Torino and Cagliari. That result will give them no end of heart. And um, yeah, I think he's done, a, he's done a fantastic job because I didn't think Pico Inzaghi was always going to be manager material as a player. He's not someone that I looked and didn't play with, didn't play with a lot of brains in terms of, uh, I, I say that, probably sort of checking myself a little bit because to get into the amount of goal scoring positions you got to, you've got to have a good football brain. But I don't know if this is a good time to, to mention a, an, an exact anecdote, but when I was at Atalanta and played against the, the first team on, in midweek, and one of my roles that I was given on occasion was to man mark Inzaghi. And it would be so deflating for a young player trying to make the way in the game. I'd go home and I'd say to my dad, oh, I played against the first team today. So how did you go on? I said, I did really well. I said, oh, what were you doing? It was man-marking people in Zaggy. I said, oh, what did you do? He goes, well, he scored a hat-trick. I was like, well, what do you mean he scored a hat-trick? He did well. But the guy was like, there would be a penalty. So not my man-marking. And someone, Lentini or Morfeo, would hit the post. It bounced, you know, rebound. You know, it hit one of us and bounced down to Zaggy. And he'd score right place, right time so often. And you could have a good game against him, but he would punish you. And there were times that he would make so many forward runs, like ridiculously ridiculous forward runs from players that went in a good position to pick him out. And there were some good players Atalanta had in midfield at the time. I mentioned Morfeo, who was a genius. They had De Paola and Sgro and people like that who could pick a pass. And they would regularly say to Inzaghi, it's like, oi, people, calm down. Like, stop running forward. Wait for us to have good possession before making a run. And I I remember people's uh, retort, one of them, he goes, uh, Non vi preoccupate, sono gasatissimo. And he would be like, like, don't worry about it. I've got so much energy that if I make a hundred runs to get in twice, it's not a problem. And that's, you know, that's the way he, he then went on to Juve and uh, and Milan, of course, and and, and be be one of what well, one of the very, very best goal scorers. But I didn't see a manager there. You know, I saw someone enthusiastic, a bit of a kid, a bit of a buffoon in terms of his sort of how he was on the pitch, and not someone that you would look at, you know, when you celebrate with a knee slide a ball that's come off your knee and gone in from half a yard. It's, like, it's not the, the etiquette that one would say, well, he's manager material. But he's obviously loves the game, completely you know, passionate about the game, and is transferring that in a different way. And probably I should have known better because Simone Enzaghi, who had nowhere near the career his brother did, has shown incredible tactical acumen to develop and one of the nicest teams, uh, I presume that you're fans of Lazio on the podcast. If, if Lazio are on TV, you set a, a time and a date to watch them because they are they are intriguing to watch. And so that, that's that's what I would say about Inzaghi that um, maybe originally surprised he went into management, but not not surprised given his enthusiasm and passion for the game that he's not only doing it well, he, you know, he's doing it very well with a, with a less fancy team. Yeah, magical, magical stuff. Boaz, is he uh, one, that, one that got away from Milan, as Richard uh, mentioned early on there? The time uh, at the beginning of the season, we mentioned that... Uh, um, Adel, what was it, uh, Tarabat or no? Rami said about um, Inzaghi that if he can be a manager, then it's good news for me because anyone can. Yeah. Having said that, it feels like after a stuttery start with Milan and Bologna as well, he's now found a place where he, he's having a good time. You can see him on, on the sideline. He he's still the same kid Richard was talking about. He celebrates every goal as if he's the one who scored them. He's uh, hugging players in training and. It's really good vibes, as I said, but uh, 
what's surprising to me is if you looked if you told me 15 20 years ago there's going to be Pirlo and Inzaghi are going to be managers they're going to play off against each other and Pirlo is going to have Juventus and Inzaghi will have Benevento who's going to win and there's no way anyone would say Inzaghi is going to win this chance yeah so kudos to him Richard talking about him in training kind of brought up an anecdote from a game uh, I was at with Richard's brother actually and uh, it was I believe it was Milan Bologna and Inzaghi did something he doesn't usually do. He won a ball in the midfield and kind of shielded it all the way into the goal in the second minute and obviously celebrated like he scored the, the best goal in his career. And this was like, after two minutes, he'd done everything that Inzaghi could do and the game ended 1-0 and we didn't see him for the rest of the game. But, <laughs> but he made his impact. And lastly, I'd, I want to defend uh, Simone because I guess we all agree that Pipo was the better striker, but Simone has the most goals in a Europe in a Champions League game record that people doesn't have, which is four. Good knowledge. Good knowledge. Richard, you spoke about At- Atalanta a few times there. Only natural given uh, that you spent so many years there as a, as a youth player. Uh, they beat Verona 2-0 at the, the weekend. That's six wins in seven in Serie A for Atalanta. They are really beginning to look good for that Champions League qualification again which would be the third year in a row, which is really incredible when you think about the size of club that they are. Uh, Golini back in the starting lineup for this one. And for Verona, that's three defeats in a row. I know, as you've mentioned, Richard, you just love uh, watching good footballing sides. What are your thoughts on Atalanta as a, a domestic force and their accomplishments on Europe? How much of a surprise is that for you to see that? Well, if Atalanta, I said what I said about last year, if Atalanta, Every day I'd watch it every day. Um, so so these are um, Atalanta are just uh, incredible. I, I, as an Atalanta fan, like like your good self, I, I think uh, I saw the I saw success coming before it was obvious to the country, let alone uh, let alone the continent. So I did I did see it not to this level, of course. I mean, this is just beyond the wildest dreams of of all the Atalanta, and I hope they're enjoying it. Obviously, it's a, it's difficult to enjoy it fully with the stadiums being empty, and it's a real real shame. And of course, the city of Bergamo in in in, in general and what it uh, went through at the beginning of this uh, uh, of this pandemic. But they the, the Atalantini, such a passionate group of fans, haven't really had a history. With a lot to shout about, um, not always a bad thing because you really treasure things when they come along, like the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final in the whenever that was late eighties. So you, you you treasure those moments more um, when you're a club that don't that doesn't achieve. But for them to be missing out on this, which is by far the best uh, period in their history, is is sad. So I hope they're enjoying it from afar or from the TV screens because they are a joy to watch every time. And that win at Verona. Again, a little bit like me then, but in a different way. Just when you think that Atalanta might find the game, they run out a little bit of steam in. No, they come again. It's just those starts that they... It's just a, such a... Well, it's a shame. I mean, careful what you wish for. But if they could have got a couple of the starts right in the last uh, two seasons when they qualified for the Champions League, they, re- they really could have pushed this year more than any other um, because the fact that Juve are no longer the Juve of, 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 of years gone by. But they, it's been I've been incredibly surprised to see them compete with the very best in the continent so well, and even the fact that they're disappointed to be by Juve and not put out the best. Sorry, by Real Madrid not putting their best performance. I mean, let, let's let's get real here. I mean, Atalanta competing with Real Madrid at the sharp end of a Champions League competition. So yeah, stunning job done by everyone at the football club, ownership down. Clearly, you wonder how long it can go on. If that's if you want to put a sort of a, a dampener on it, and it is the manager it has. Whilst at a very run club, equipped for a manager to come in and do what Gasparini has done, no one will be able to quite live up to what Gasparini is doing, I'm afraid. So enjoy the ride. Not sure how much better it can get. It's three Champions Leagues in a row. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, it will be a poisoned chalice, presumably, that, that position afterwards. And their prospects for the top four, uh, Boaz, do we think it's now looking... Are they now looking like favourites? Napoli have obviously still got uh, still got that game in hand against Juve as well to come. It's basically between those two though for the final uh, final top four spot, uh, and that's you know uh, assuming that Juve stay where they are. It's it's all very open, and that game in hand we keep talking about it, but it it could really define the season for uh, Napoli especially, but for Juventus as well. Yes, I think they're out of the title race now, but. Should they get the three points against Napoli, maybe they'll be able to put a little bit of pressure on Inter. 
and who knows, maybe Pata Inter would be back in, in the mix. I do think that, uh, I, I said it, we did a prediction a few weeks ago of who we thought the top four would be. And I think I said Atalanta would be fourth. And it's good news that um, very few teams at this stage of the season have slipped out of that position. Although this is a very particular season, so anything can happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to speak about Roma Napoli in a bit more detail in part two, uh, mainly because uh, Richard has to, to run off uh, now for uh, prior commitments. Just before you do go, Richard, though, uh, Roma nil, Napoli 2. I know it's a game you watched. What was your quick, quick reaction to the, to the game, uh, where, where the result leaves the two sides and what it means for the two managers' futures? Yeah, I was, I was very disappointed in Roma. Um, for as good as Napoli were, they controlled the minute, uh, they controlled the game right from the first minutes and deserved winners, and then saw it out quite comfortably at the end. Roma, the Pellegrini header at the beginning of the second half. If Roma had scored that one, then maybe the second half would have been more of a spectacle. Um, but kind of surprised, I, I thought Napoli went into it the better team. I, I, I thought they might because of the recent good results, and uh, they seem to have come out of a dark place with Catuzzo a little bit, and and they they seem to have come out stronger for it. So I thought that they, they were the favourites going into the game, but I didn't expect them to to win as comfortably, even though it was 2-0. But it, it was a comfortable 2-0 win against one of your Champions League rivals. Uh, and I don't want to be... The boys is absolutely right. It, 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 this, this, the top four um, race, for me, there could be all sorts of twists and turns. And I even mean that Juve and Milan, who look secure now, could end up being in a, in a sort of... Uh, uh, in a very different position in a few weeks' time. I wouldn't rule Lazio out, of course. They win the game in hand, they go above Roma. So the easy thing to do is to be overreactive to the last weekend's results and say, yeah, Roma are gone, they're out of it. I, I was disappointed in them. They do have to get a lot better. They missed Jordan Veritu hugely, I believe, in the midfield from a creative force and, uh, and, and, and sort of an attacking point of view. I'm trying not to just react to what I saw at the weekend, but I would say that they're sixth favourite for the top four finish of the, of the top six with Lazio just um, being being better than them. But Napoli, yeah, I mean, Napoli been, as I said, really good since um, since Gattuso seems to drag them out of the, the dark place that they were in. And um, they're going to take some some beating. So I think uh, between me and Juve, Atalanta, Napoli, I personally wouldn't want to call it who's going to who's gonna miss out, unluckily. But it's it's definitely... if What we will lose, perhaps, from a Scudetto race, moving on because of uh, Juve's form allowing Inter to pull away um, we will make up for in, in the top four race and the relegation places as well I think it's going to be a really exciting end of this Serie A season Absolutely and Roma obviously also the only Italian club left in European competition which might uh, make that a bit more challenging for them as well uh, Richard thank you very much for, for coming on to speak to us it's been really great having you on and really look forward to, to having you on again Boaz, you'll be back in uh, in part two, and that'll be coming up straight after this. Hello, Serie A fan. Make Scudetto a part of your weekly football fix. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite listening platform, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ScudettoPod. We'd love to have you on the squad. Welcome back to part two of Scudetto. Boaz and I are here with you. Unfortunately, obviously, Richard has had to go to the uh, previously mentioned commitments. But we have now watched uh, Italy defeat Northern Ireland 2-0 in in Parma. Uh, So we'll bring you reaction to that. But before we do that, it's the evening, Boaz. So that means it's time for for beers. And may I be the first one to, to toast you with this a Beavertown Gamma Ray, which I've got here, it's given it's a, a special occasion and a, a very big happy birthday to you. Um, what have you got, Boaz? And how are you going to see in your, your 40s? First of all, thank you. I, I've got a milkshake IPA that I picked up um, the night before the election. I went out on the town with my friends and it's a little bit weird to see things starting to open up. And it's even weirder to think that it's weird that things are opening up. Yeah. But uh, in any case, I picked up... Uh, a six-pack of weird uh, American and IPA beers, and this is one of them. Nice. As for today or tomorrow, um, apparently my girlfriend is planning a few surprises, and uh, by the time listeners listen to this, I'll already I'll be wiser to what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell us all about it, all about it next week. But for now, enjoy enjoy that beer. Does it have a name, by the way? It's like they're called it the Milky Way. The Milky Way. Okay. Yeah, it's not not very imaginative, but it's got a cow in space. 
on the label. So that's something. Nice. Yeah, Beavertown Gamma Ray, for those who don't know it, has uh, similarly space-themed. Uh, it's got kind of a, a weird skeleton space uh, soldier type thing with a with a rocket launcher. Very, very cool graphics. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Let's let's get back to the football boys. Italy, Northern Ireland, it's what we're here in part to really to, to speak about. Uh, it seems like a fairly routine victory for the Azzurri 2-0 by half time, uh, saw the game out. That's 21 games unbeaten for them. What did you make of it? Yeah, as you said, it was a very routine victory and arguably Italy should have scored a couple more goals in the first half at least and definitely had some chances towards the end of the game. To start off the campaign with a win is great and to continue this uh, amazing run of form under Mancini is also something that's uh, definitely worth uh, giving credit to the coach and the whole uh, setup. In the, with the Azzurri. Um, something that I was particularly impressed with was the fact that uh, the likes of uh, Barella and Chiesa, who are standout players for both Inter and Juve, are, were on the bench for this game for different reasons. But uh, in Italy definitely coped without them on the pitch. And uh, it shows that there is a, a wealth of talent in the, in the squad and that there's a lot of very promising young players and the future is bright for the Azzurri. It's also interesting. This is the first game in the in the World Cup qualifying campaign, and of course, Italy didn't qualify for the last campaign. So it's great to see some young blood, but also the likes of uh, Bonucci and Kellini, who are, I'm sure, are still very angry at um, that Ventura nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you actually watched Mancini's post match press conference, I believe. What did what did he have to say about the performance? His first quote was a little bit dry and it kind of cracked me up, but he said, in the first half, we were perfect because we scored two goals. We could have scored two more. <laughs> very dead fan. But uh, he also went on to say that uh, Italy were playing very quickly and that uh, in the second half, all they had to do was hold on to the ball more and let Northern Ireland kind of run themselves a little bit tired. Um, he singled out Pellegrini and Locatelli for having a great game. Apart from that, he was also very complimentary for Chiru Mobile, who hadn't scored for the Azzurri since 2019, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, very, very, uh, very good for Immobile to get off the off the mark, I think. And uh, certainly Locatelli, I felt, had uh, had a very, very good game. It's uh, a result that actually sets Italy up nicely for the, the qualifying group. Uh, next up for them, they're going to have uh, Bulgaria on Sunday, and then it's going to be Lithuania on Wednesday. And we will obviously bring our uh, listeners the response to to those games. And um, before we move back on to to talk about Syria for a little while, Boaz, you, I understand, wanted to speak about the under twenty ones. Yeah, but before I speak about the under-21s, I wanted to just say that um, the match against Bulgaria next for Italy is quite important because uh, Switzerland, who are essentially Italy's rival for the top of this group, uh, just beat them 3-1. So Italy have uh, can set the tone for the rest of the campaign by getting a good result against Bulgaria. With regards to the under-21s, they there was a very disappointing result against the Czech Republic. I guess it was away, but... Um, you kind of expected them to do better. And Gianluca Scamacca carried on his excellent form, having scored a brace on the weekend. He scored another very stylish goal in this game. But um, Italy got an own goal from uh, Giulio Maggiore. And then uh, Sandro Tonali and Riccardo Marchisa also got red cards. So um, kind of a interesting game for the Azzurri. Azzurini. Uh, you expect better. But uh, I guess Milan fans will sigh a breath of uh, relief knowing that uh, Tonali won't get injured in any more games now. Great stuff. Okay, and we're just going back to that Roma-Napoli game that Richard was obviously speaking about at the end of uh, part one. If we want any glimmer of a hope of a title fight left in, in Serie A, then realistically we're going to need Roma to be taking points off of Inter when they meet. I think it's three games from the from the end of the season. As things stand, that looks highly unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah, Roma have only managed to get three points from uh, 27 available against their so-called big oppositions. The stat goes back to 2019-2020, uh, so it's a little bit worrying. And uh, I imagine that in, at the end, this is what will possibly cost them uh, access to the Champions League. Although they're still in the Europa League, and A, this is a slight caveat, I'm sure they were 
a lot more tired than Napoli coming into this game. But also, it, it, it's a long shot, but should Roma win the Europa League, there's an automatic qualification for the Champions League. So it's not all lost for Roma, but um, there seems to be a lack of character when it comes to these big games. And uh, in this case, Napoli with finally having a full squad available, the likes of uh, Manolas, Lozano, Osimen all coming back. And of course, Mertens, who scored two. They're a completely different proposition. And it's suddenly, as Richard mentioned earlier, Gattuso has a lot more to play with and his pedigree is showing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really easy to kind of focus on on the negatives, I, I suppose. But Napoli, for all of the for all of the troubles that Gattuso has gone through with uh, some very sort of public well disagreements uh, with De Laurentiis and fans calling for for him to go, they've had a horrendous run of it with with injuries, and they could yet come out of this uh, with a Champions League qualification spot. So. Uh, yeah, great, great result for them. Uh, and as you said, I think very, very important that they're now kind of getting back to something resembling full strength. Right, we're going to do a very quick wrap-up of the rest of the, the results in Serie A. So down at the bottom, Parma went 1-0 up, but ended up losing to, to Genoa 2-1. Crotone managed to go 2-0 up and conspired to lose 3-2. Uh, to a second-half Bologna comeback. Samp, with their first win in five, putting Torino back in trouble with a 1-0 victory. Spezia, like Benevento, uh, gave their safety hopes a massive boost. They won 2-1 to fellow relegation candidates Cagliari. Uh, And then at the other end of the table, Lazio, as Richard mentioned, they won 1-0 away to Udinese to keep their Champions League qualification hopes alive. Uh, right, so we should do good week, bad week at this point. I think we've gone over all of the all of the main talking points. Good week, Boaz. There are a few potential candidates for this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to to nominate your uh, your selection for good week. I have to admit, I slightly cheated uh, on this occasion in the sense that I went back a few episodes to see who we have nominated in the past, and uh, I think someone that or rather a team that we've constantly wanted to nominate but never actually got the the final call-up, let's say, was Bologna. And in this case, their incredible comeback, albeit against uh, not such a stellar opposition, but still, their comeback deserves a, a good week. And also, uh, in the at the end of the day, I just want to give uh, Mihailovic's shoes uh, more uh, kudos. Yeah, I think that's totally fair enough. I have no objections to that being 2-0 down at halftime, coming back to win 3-2, I think would uh, qualify you for for a good week. Bad week, I think we spoke about them in part one, really. It, it has to be Juventus, doesn't it? The I think without a doubt, Juventus has uh, had a terrible week, both in terms of results, but also in terms of uh, the whole communication around it. The fact that uh, Paratici was the first person in front of the mic and that a lot of what he said in the post-match interviews was talking about how many joys they provided to Juventini in the past several years. I understand that if you're looking at it as a company or as a business, you look at it over a period of 9, 10, 15 years. And of course, Juventus have been massively successful in this period. But at the same time, in this particular season, they've been very disappointing. And at times, it has felt like um, the players are kind of being left out, hung, hung out to dry. An example of this was Pirlo's post-match interview where, I mean, earlier I said that Inter were a little bit like the Terminator in the way that they just close out games. But to me, Pirlo is a little bit of a robot. He's uh, giving the same kind of copy-paste responses regardless of the result. And in this circumstance, he said, look, I'm not out on the pitch, which is true. And uh, we all know at the end of the day, it's the players out there. But it's not what I I guess it's not what the players want to hear from their manager. And lastly, it's got to be said that uh, Benevento had not won in 11 matches. So you, to go to Turin and beat Juventus, is it's pretty, it's pretty damning on Juventus's part. But let's give credit to Benevento. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, bad week to Juventus nonetheless. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think we have to do dishonorable at this point. Um, we, we discussed it before we started recording, Boaz, but I, I noticed we don't have it done in our, in our list for a certain back pass. Yeah, I mean, um, to add to uh, Juventus's woes, Arto, who was uh, 
supposed to be one of the big signings committed one of the biggest crimes in football which was to pass the ball right across his area straight to the Benevento player who I still had to do a little bit of work but at the, at the end of the day he, Arthur he's often criticized for not being uh, possibly direct enough not uh, not passing as as many vertical passes as he should and maybe that's not just part of his skill set but Juventus should have known that when they recruited him so dishonorable definitely dishonorable yeah yeah, I agree with that. Uh, right, we're going to move on to the honourables and dishonourables section on that note. Uh, Boz, we're starting off again on a, a sad note. You have a, an honourable mention for Lazio's uh, 19-year-old, I believe, Guarini. Yeah, this is uh, some pretty tragic news that came out this week. And uh, out of Italy, is uh, 19-year-old Daniele Guarini died in a... Car crash. Uh, his the smart he was traveling on with some friends uh, had a frontal crash with uh, another car, and basically two of his friends are also pretty badly injured. As much as, as far as I heard, he sounded like a very popular guy. And his former club Torino also put out a, a message on social media, etc., about about him. And actually, part of Mancini's presser today was about him as well. It's it's kind of crazy to for a player for anyone to lose their life at 19 especially someone who had so much potential yeah absolutely and thoughts obviously with his teammates family friends uh, very 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 sad and like you said buzz 19 is is no age to to go um on that uh note we'll we'll move on to to an honorable i think and I'm going to give it to Dries Mertens, actually the first uh, honourable, because it seems like the, the most sober and probably the most appropriate of the uh, of the honourable mentions we have. Uh, so to Dries Mertens for becoming the first Belgian to reach 100 Serie A goals. And a side honourable, I guess, would be to Romelu Lukaku, who is his uh, national teammate, obviously, uh, but rival in, in Serie A, who was one of the first to, to congratulate him on that uh, on that achievement uh, right okay so let's move on to a dishonorable Boaz you've got a dishonorable for Gaston Pereira yeah a few months ago we debuted the Living La Vida Loca challenge which is essentially a, an award for a very bad miss and uh, our friend Gaston really really wanted to win this prize so uh, in the Spezia Cagliari game uh, Simeone did a lot of hard work, got past a few players and crossed the ball across the, the six-yard box. And literally all the, all that needed to be done was to hit it either side of the keeper. But he smashed it really hard straight at the keeper. Dishonorable for me. Yeah, it was on a plate, wasn't it? And especially because Cagliari are fighting for the relegation battle. And these, this is it's such a fine margin and th- that miss could cost them big. Yeah, and the the work that went into creating that opportunity uh, as well, I guess. Right, it's time for my obligatory goals honourable, uh, my unimaginative uh, honourable mentions of the, of the week. This week, I'm going to give an honourable to Pulgar for uh, an incredible free kick in the game against Milan. And I should probably tack on that Dries Mertens actually also had an incredible uh, free kick, uh, one of his two goals at the the weekend as well. Not not dissimilar to the one that Pulgar scored. Uh, And Graziano Pelle for an overhead kick, which we always like to see. Ultimately fruitless because Genoa won that game 2-1, as we mentioned. But yes, my... Obligatory goals, honourables go to Pulgar and Pelle, and I don't think Mertens gets gets two despite his uh, despite his achievements. But as you've got an honourable mention for Hakan Chalanoglu. Before I get onto that, I see that uh, we forgot to put it on the sheet, but uh, you wanted to give a dishonourable mention to our friend Frank Ribery, who um, debuted oh, yeah. a pretty tragic uh, goal celebration, and I think you described it best. Go for it. Yeah, well, I, uh, the thing that I love about it most was the fact that Frank Ribery, <laughs> so this was Fiorentina going 2-1 up against Milan. He kind of he kind of goes to celebrate the, the goal and then he's like, get back, guys, get back, guys. I've got something prepared. And then does this really weird, uh, almost, it's, it's like the beginning of a choreograph, but it's it's very awkward. And uh, it's, 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 you can almost see his teammates being like, all right, enough of that now, and just like kind of jumping on him. 
it brings us nicely on to Hakan, um, who seemed to mock Ribery's celebration when he scored the third <laughs> goal against uh, Fiorentina. But um, Hakan Kalyanoglu scored a fantastic goal for Turkey against uh, Holland. And it, it, it was kind of similar to the goal he scored in, against Fiorentina. It has kind of a manga quality to it because he hits it towards the ground and it doesn't look like such a powerful shot, but it, it kind of it gains speed as it goes. I've, I've not seen many players hit the ball like that and I've been quite critical of him in the past few weeks. And so uh, you have to give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. I've only got one more honorable mention left, I think. Uh, and this one is going to, to Gascoigne. I think he's getting it for two weeks in a row simply for appearing on Italy's equivalent of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Um, but in particular, uh, his ex-teammate at Rangers, Marco Negri, has, uh, has been pretty much providing a daily update on on Twitter, on Gaza's appearances on I'm a Celebrity. Uh, and just like the, the range of, uh, the range of uh, amusement is huge. Uh, I mean, it, it stems from the very beginning just with his god-awful Italian, given that, you know, this was a professional playing in Serie A at a time when I think Serie A teams only had three non-Italian players in them. So you wonder how he communicated with his teammates but it goes on to fishing lessons and the most recent one that i saw was him describing <laughs> describing a tattoo that he has in uh, let's say a painful place uh, but he's describing it to his fellow contestant and he's saying i've got a flower tattooed there but don't worry because when i get very excited it turns into a tree <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Never change. Never change. He, he never. He never has changed. Am I mistaken in thinking that his promo video is him walking near San Siro as well? I think it is San Siro. I like, was wondering why. That. It looks like could they, you know, could they not I, fly him to the Olimpico for this? I don't know. I was wondering that as well. It does look suspiciously like the San Siro, uh, like San Siro. But yes, uh, in fact, I think even his his end piece, the camera, might be in front of San Siro. Giving the giving the game away there, but right, Boaz, we've got two more mentions from from you. The first one is for Adam Messina. Adam Messina is a former Bologna player and uh, currently plays for Watford, and he had um, or he has six under twenty one caps for Italy. But he he uh, decided to switch his allegiance, and he's now a Morocco international. And as part of his initiation, he had to sing a song, and he cho- he chose a rap song from uh, the Italian duo Gemelli Diversi, I believe, and he get, he really sang it with gusto, but seriously, like, how are his new international teammates going to react to this guy singing <laughs> some rap song in Italian? Yeah. yeah but I wish fun. him all the best, and I, I hope he gets uh, some playing time and hopefully some tournaments. Absolutely. That's the, that's the whole name of the game, isn't it? Uh, and a dishonorable for, I had to rub my eyes when I saw this, a dishonorable from Boaz Sachs, uh, the Milan fan who I think ranks Marco Van Basten as one of his favorite players uh, of all time for Marco Van Basten. Yeah, this, is, uh, this was hard for me as well. Marco Van Basten has been in the Italian press a little bit too frequently for my liking in the past few weeks. For a start, he, um, he came out and said that... Um, Milan would should have won the 1990 uh, championship, but the powers that be chose Napoli. And I mean, a lot of dodgy things went on in those seasons. But I think uh, at the end of the day, I don't, I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible. But all the clubs were kind of messing around with the same tricks. And yes, Napoli won that league, but arguably Milan won two two leagues uh, pr- prior prior to that uh, in equally dodgy circumstances. Uh, so. I think overall it's it's a bit of sour grapes right now, so many years on. But the reason I'm actually giving him a dishonorable mention is because every few years Marco van Basten comes out with his amazing theory that the offside trap, the offside rule should be eliminated from football and that it will make games much more entertaining. And he tried this in 2017 when he was part of some FIFA committee and they weren't having it and I think he quit. And he gave like a, a big uh, interview recently and again he... Um, he came out with uh, his let's get rid of the offside rule. And for me, especially he, him being a striker, come on, man. Let's be serious for a second. Yes, yes. Uh, well-deserved dishonorable mention, I think, for, for the great man there. Right, that's, that's actually all we've, all we've got time for this week. 
before we do go, uh, I just wanted to once again say a very big thank you to our special guests this week, Richard Hughes. Some really, really insightful commentary on uh, on Prandelli and uh, Richard's time playing under him uh, in the youth setup at Atalanta. Right. So, as as ever, please do subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we've got another international break this week, so we'll uh, all be watching the Azzurri. And until next week, enjoy the football. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.